Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oak. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. We are absolutely pleased this morning to have Mr. Chuck Snyder, the president of National Cooperative Bank, who's been sponsoring this program for six and a half years now, and Mr. Doug O'Brien, who's executive director of NCBA, National Cooperative Business Association. That's the umbrella association of all co-ops in the U.S., but they also work in international in creating co-ops. So right now, we're going to talk about COVID-19. That's the main focus today. So good morning, Chuck and Doug. How are you doing? Good morning, Vernon. Hey, good to be with you, Vernon. It's really good to be with you guys. Thank you very much for taking out time to be with us today. They tell me, a lot of people tell me that they work harder now that they're at home and doing Zooms. How you guys? Are you finding you spending more time working or less time? <laughs> I think it's true that I'm uh, working harder uh, uh, working at, at home. I think that there's just a host of issues that uh, you have to deal with as a result of this COVID. And, and uh, it's surprisingly how well that uh, the bank is performing, considering everyone is uh, working remotely um, and using all the IT systems, et cetera. And everything's working out pretty well. Great. How about yeah, you, and, Well, for my end, um, you know, we've got about 60 or 70 people at NCBA Clues that does that domestic cooperative work, advocacy, and public awareness. Uh, and then we do development both domestically and across the world. And, and I agree with Chuck that um, uh, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at how effective we can be representing co-ops, you know, getting the word out about co-ops. Of course, there's been a lot of work on advocacy, making sure co-ops are eligible for the different types of economic disaster assistance yeah, so it's it's been very busy. Uh, whether I'm working more hours or not, I, I don't know. It all just kind of blends, right? I mean, I'm here with Sam, I got three little kids, and I do I, I get to go to recess every day, but um, but it kind of starts off early and it can go pretty late. So, what well, a good news is you get recess. That was my favorite part of school. <laughs> that, that <lunch>. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this COVID-19 is extremely difficult. How are you finding co-ops are doing in this world? I mean, a lot of a lot of businesses are closing down. They're not able to open their doors. How, how are co-ops doing? Which one do you want to start, Chuck? How about you? Well, okay. Um, generally, uh, co-ops are, are doing uh, rather well during this uh, downturn. It's uneven, though. There are some uh, businesses that are impacted uh, more than others. But when you have a, a general economic downturn like this, it, it lowers the tide and all boats go down a little bit. So it's not uh, necessarily a positive thing for any of, of the co-ops. But uh, generally, co-ops have done extremely well. If you take a look at our uh, delinquencies, um, which started out in March at extremely low levels, uh, they have increased a little bit. But we're still, uh, our delinquencies are half of what other commercial banks are experiencing. So, you know, co-ops generally uh, operate in 
and the demand inelastic type uh, services, uh, you know, food, healthcare, housing, you know, financial services like with credit unions, et cetera. And so generally, uh, co-ops have performed uh, pretty well despite, you know, having uh, all these these issues. What about you, find out with the people? and, and I, 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 like like Chuck, I've been um, I've been talking to to folks from the different sectors and co-ops, and, and generally they they've been you know very resilient. I think uh, you know uh, performing as well or outperforming others in their sector, and uh, you know we we see some that uh, demand has actually uh, increased in their throughput. I've, I've been talking quite a bit to the food co-op sector, and it's it's been interesting at at the beginning of this they had some record demand and they were uh, really responding to their members' needs and kind of stocking up and preparing for the extended stay at home. Since that time, it's really varied across food co-ops. Some continue to do really well. And then others, uh, you know, things have slowed down. The interesting thing about food co-ops, and actually not that surprising, is that they tended to be a lot more aggressive about protecting their workers and, and coming up with solutions so that the members can still access food, but making sure that the, the workers can, um, you know, can uh, can be assured that their health is there. I'm a member of Tacoma Park uh, Silver Spring Co-op up here uh, in D.C., and, and uh, they have a 100% curbside, and it, it, it works fantastic, and I think it's great for the workers. It's great for the members. Yeah, I, I was checking on some stats yesterday on how the co-op community has been responding here, and, you know, two of the bigger sectors within co-op world is the rural electric co-ops, and uh, many of them, if not most of them, are really working with their customers on those utility bills to make sure that people can, you know, continue to get that affordable, reliable electric service that's so crucial to quality of life. And uh, the credit unions, I just checked their uh, numbers here to just uh, yesterday, and that nearly 95% of the credit unions surveyed are offering loan modifications right now to their uh, members. Eighty-five uh, percent of them are waiving at least some fees, and eighty percent of them created new loan products to meet their member needs. So, you know, co-ops are are, are adapting and um, uh, making sure that they can continue to to meet their mission and 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 serve their members. Yeah, you know, Doug, that's a real important part. I think of of co-ops. Uh, they really care about the keep their community and uh, treat everyone fairly. Employees, uh, vendors. Uh, you mentioned natural foods uh, co-ops and. In my discussions, uh, one of the things that uh, has helped them out uh, tremendously is that over the years, they have built up uh, personal relationships with farmers uh, close to the store. So not only are they uh, have better access to fresh vegetables and things, but they're also helping their community, keeping uh, the farmers employed, et cetera. And you've you know heard the stories about uh, farmers having to to destroy various different uh, foodstuffs, et cetera, because they just don't have the capability to get it to the market. And so, you know, I think co-ops have really showed their value to their community by uh, working those relationships during hard times. So I've heard flexible, uh, caring about their employees, uh, having relationships with farmers, and really caring about their members. So that's what makes co-ops, I guess, more resilient, I heard. You, you also say, but real quickly, there's four types of co-op, four sectors. If it's an, if the co-op is only controlled by the employees, it's called a worker co-op. And you can say for you have any kind of business if it's only controlled by the employees. If it's only controlled by the people that uses the products or services, it's called a consumer co-op. And you mentioned rural electric, housing, 
credit union. Those are all examples of consumer co-ops. And if it's, uh, you got farmers use these other two a lot, and artists are beginning to use them, and it's called, one is called a purchasing co-op, where different farmers get together and create a business that they all buy their products from. And then on the other end, the farmers will create a business where they send their products to, they send their milks to, and then that marketing co-op or uh, producer co-op will add value. They'll make cheese and cottage cheese and all kinds of things and get it to markets that the co-op could not get to. So these are different businesses, and I got a little sense of this, but in downturns, uh, in the previous downturns, the Great Depression, Great Recession, how have co-ops fared? How have they done? Who want to take that one? Well, Doug, yeah, I'll, Doug. I'll start. Generally, they, t- they tend to be a lot more resilient. And it's uh, for, you know, some of the reasons that Chuck mentioned before that, that you mentioned, Vernon, that they, they tend to be more loyalty. There's a lot more investment, not only, you know, I'm not talking about financial investment, but, but actual personal investment in the, in the success of the, of the business. And they also tend to be in lines of business that are, as Chuck said, inelastic. I mean, these are, you know, electricity food, housing, these are, these are products or services that people need. And the reason they created the co-op was to solve some kind of problem because the market wasn't filling that need. Uh, and that need continues, you know, even in a time of, of economic or, in this case, you know, also public health crisis. So they do tend to be more resilient. In the, the Great Recession of 2008, uh, just a, an example of credit unions, again, how they tended to – you know, foreclose on mortgages at a much, much lower rate than uh, private sector banks. And, uh, you know, part of it was because they're, they weren't as, um, as, as risky in getting involved in some of those funny mortgage products because they, they were taking the long view. Uh, and then the other reason is, is that, that their members own and control that financial institution. And so they had every incentive to be as creative as possible to make sure that people, you know, could stay in their homes. And I think we're, we're seeing some of that, you know, that type of creativity and adaptability from co-ops across the different sectors to continue to serve their members. Vernon, let me add uh, the uh, another sector uh, is the small business uh, purchasing uh, cooperatives. And one of the things during this pandemic is that the recession has been very, very hard on small businesses. And many of these small businesses that uh, will survive will be members of co-ops in that they have a supportive structure around their activity. For example, uh, you know, Ace Hardware is, is a strong uh, co-op. They have some 5,000 uh, member stores uh, around the, uh, the country owned by um, uh, entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, I can't help but think that uh, they uh, benefited significantly from the um, national advertising that the uh, that you saw on, on, on TV over the last uh, couple of months, et cetera, and, and um, their uh, delivery, uh, home delivery product, et cetera, definitely has helped that small business segment. And I encourage uh, all small businesses to take a look at uh, coming together uh, to gain power and strength. If there's one thing that uh, is very disturbing uh, during uh, this pandemic is that the they uh, are getting bigger and stronger, and the small are, are getting weak and going out of business. And uh, that's very concerning to me in that uh, we lose a lot of community. And it's something that uh, small businesses can help themselves uh, through cooperation. That's a really interesting point, Chuck. As, as you were talking, I'm going, what would it be like if restaurants, 
in D.C. If all restaurants in D.C. formed a co-op and then they had purchasing, they could buy their things together and then they would have their different uh, health care for their, for their employees and they have different systems in place and how they could work together and work with the community. That, that would be, that yeah. would be exciting. Well, you know, one of the, I'll throw an idea out there with restaurants because they uh, have to close down their, their dining rooms. They're relying on, on takeout. And, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, delivery uh, services are, uh, take a very large commission out of the, uh, um, the sale of the local restaurant. And, um, you know, couldn't, uh, these local restaurants band together and, and offer some sort of joint uh, delivery, and they wouldn't have to pay that high commission. Just a thought. Just a thought. There's a different ways that we can band together. Listen, we have to take our first break. So we're going to take our first break, and then we'll get back. And I really want to talk when we come back about the mindset, the co-op value system, and how that helped to play to make sure that co-ops um, stay in business more so than other people. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Information is power. Yes, it is. That's why National Co-op Bank has sponsored this program for six and a half years to give you information about cooperatives and how they function so that you may go find one, research one out to do business with, or you may start your own. Get three or four people together. If there's some community problem, then you can help create this particular business, work together, and it has a much better chance of being successful. So we have Doug O'Brien, who's the executive director of NCBA, and Chuck Snyder, the president of the National Cooperative Bank, online with us to give us information about how co-ops or how they're working within this coronavirus environment. So, gentlemen, when I listen to Governor Cuomo from New York talk, he says things like, we have to be a community, we have to work together, we have to be neutrality and solidarity in order to get through this. And I have it that he's talking co-op, and Northrum is saying the same kinds of things as you have to have the, the golden rule. The golden rule is do unto others as you have them do unto you. So how does this fit in with this co-op and co-op values? Chuck? Well, let me just say that, uh, you know, we, we did have a healthy economy uh, with low inflation and um, when this whole thing uh, started. But we had significant uh, issues um societal issues that I think co-ops play or could pro- play a big part in, in providing uh, solutions. And we all have heard about the significant wealth gap in, in the United States, uh, income gap, and that I guess the public uh, discussion has been sort of uh, moved away from some of these uh, societal issues. And I think that uh, as we start to get refocused on rebuilding the economy, I think you're absolutely right learning that uh, we'll start to focus in on things that like affordable housing. You know, here in, in the district, there's a significant uh, issue with gentrification and uh, maybe uh, a lot of uh, folks that live in, in neighborhoods for a very long period of time are getting uh, uh, pushed out. And uh, you know that housing co-ops uh, once form not only provide uh, affordable housing, state uh, affordable housing, but they're not going to go anyplace and they're not going to get... Uh, redeveloped or uh, they're not going to push out uh, folks, et cetera. So, um, you know, we have to get back to, you know, so some of these societal issues, the sustainability with the environment, 
are all significant uh, uh, issues that I think co-ops have a solution, which we need not to forget about uh, and make sure that when we come out of this pandemic, that we're pointed in the right direction and address some of these uh, long-term issues. I think we're getting distracted, and I'm, I'm glad we have uh, uh, leaders like uh, Cuomo and, and Northam that uh, are um, really keeping us focused on some of the more important things in life. Yes, I don't want to go back to the normal. That's real quick. Uh, the right. African-American male, it's clear that the inequities are huge in terms of income right. and wealth. And the example of wealth uh, the average white family in the U.S. has a net worth of $171,000. The average black family has $17,000. So the average white family has 10 times more wealth than the average black family. There's a huge history of why that's that, why it's like that. Right. And mostly it has to do with different policies. It doesn't have to do with laziness or not wanting or all of that, that stuff. But Chuck, and talking about limited equity co-ops, I want to give a shout out to Anita Bonds, who's council member for D.C., and she created a limited equity housing co-op, and she has said that limited equity co-ops are the answer to gentrification. I mean, she came up with this as we were doing this work, and then she would kind of like shout that out. So, Doug, what, what would you say in terms of values? We have the ethical values of honesty in co-ops, openness, self, um, social responsibility, and caring for one another. Right. That's that golden rule, right. really care for one another. So how right. do you think that works in this environment, coronavirus, Great Depression, and normal? How does that value right. system work? Right. Well, I, I think it's great. That's a great point, Vernon. You know, you listed some of those values, uh, and we also have the principles. We have the seven principles of cooperatives that are understood and accepted by the cooperative community across the, the nation or across the, the globe. And there's seven of those. And I'll just just want to mention six and six and seven. Six is is cooperation among cooperatives, and seven is concern for community. These are principles that show up every day with cooperatives, the way that they, they treat their members, their, the people in their community. Uh, but I think during this COVID uh, experience that, uh, that we really see co-ops expressing principle six and seven. Uh, cooperation among cooperatives, Isthmus Engineering Manufacturing is a, a worker-owned cooperative in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, they learned about the uh, shortage of personal protective equipment for workers and uh, they did what good engineers do. They solved the problem. They, they retooled one of their manufacturing lines and started to create uh, face masks that are uh, so incredibly valuable to healthcare workers. They provided 4,000 masks uh, to home care cooperatives in, in a very quick order. And, I mean, that was great for the workers. It meant that people could be taken care of in, in these worker-owned home care cooperatives. It's such a huge piece. I mean, another example, the Cooperative Development Foundation, which is the uh, the nonprofit that's affiliated with, with the National Cooperative Business Association, they put out uh, disaster grants and, and, and they've appealed for resources and, and have raised uh, over $230,000 from the cooperative community and have been able to put out uh, $230,000 to different home care co-ops primarily, but then to other places. And so it's it's been... Um, and, and I'll just, I want to give that a plug. They continue to seek resources at, uh, at CDF, uh, cdf.coop, um, and people can provide them resources and, and, and share among 
the, the co-op community. There's a lot more examples we don't have time, you know, to get into, but I could sure mention some more about co-ops coming together and really helping each other out and also helping out their communities. I think Chuck's point, I think, is really important about this is the moment. You know, there is there are some things that are really sliding in the wrong direction, you know, racial disparities and so many indicators, wealth inequality. And what my hope is, is that this COVID experience is actually putting a, a sharper focus on these problems so that as policymakers and community leaders look for, you know, strategies for the recovery, that they look to co-ops. Co-ops increase community wealth. Co-ops provide people more control and say about their businesses and their community. And that's exactly what we need today. Uh, and, we, and we've seen this in, you know, in the past. And I think that we're in that another moment like that right now. Doug, you had mentioned principles six and seven, cooperation among co-ops and concern for community. But those were not the main two that I liked when I first got introduced to co-ops. I like number five, education, training, and information. And I found that's one of the reasons that co-ops stay in existence is because there's this constant training. And I like number one, again, being African-American, this voluntary and open membership that it's open to everybody, regardless of your race, religion, gender, uh, where you come from, what your zip code is, what your political or religious. It just doesn't make any difference if you it's volunteer. If you want to be a member, you can be a member. And then it's one member, one vote, which is the second one. And this member economic participation, you put some money in to, to normally small amount in. And if, if there's money that's made and profits, you get a portion of that. And you have to have control. That's the fourth autonomy and independence. So that's why I love co-ops, and I think that's why they exist. Any other thing you want to add, Chuck, about this value system and why yeah, let me, co-ops uh, work? Yeah, you, know, you mentioned uh, public policy. Uh, let me go back a little bit. You know, public policy hasn't necessarily helped in the uh, wealth gap or income uh, uh, gap, and I certainly agree with that. But hopefully uh, we're pivoting to a new time, um, and Doug has been a big part of this in advocating fairness and and cooperation on Capitol Hill. And we have been advocating for probably 30, 40 years to have co-ops eligible to participate with SBA programs. And recently, we got the SBA uh, with support of uh, Congresswoman uh, Valadez and Senator Schumer to um, really uh, pass some legislation that would allow the co-ops to to participate in the SBA uh, programs. But I, I think uh, it would be interesting to hear from, from Doug, because he's much more active in this, that the co-op message and the conversation uh, has changed a little bit on, on Capitol Hill, and we're getting much more willingness on, on legislators' parts to uh, to listen and to actually advocate for, for co-ops. And, and recently there was an issue where we got, uh, oh, I don't know, seven, eight uh, legislators to um, – uh, submit uh, a letter to the SBA, and that wouldn't have happened uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so, you know, hopefully uh, we're turning the corner on some of these public policy, and I think that uh, uh, we need to, to push hard to um, take advantage of, of this change in, in attitude. And we're going to talk about that to the other side of our next break. Doug, when you come back, I'd really like to hear what you've seen as a change. And I just want to give a shout-out to Doug and Chuck for really being out there advocating for for co-ops and getting that change in policy. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down.
everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. Um, in, National Co-op Bank has been sponsoring this program for six and a half years. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. And we have Mr. Chuck Snyder, the president of NCB, who has been a real fan, not only providing financial support for this program, but also encouragement and ideas and how we can grow. And that's the same thing with Mr. Doug O'Brien, who's with the NCBA, the executive director of the National Cooperative Business Association. Before we took break, we said, Doug, uh, we were going to come back and talk to you and see what's happening on the Hill and different things that NCBA and NCB doing is helping uh, the Schumans and the Velasquez and Gillibrand and other people changed their policy to understand co-ops as FDR did in coming out of the Great Depression. He used co-ops to help come out of the Great Depression. So what's been happening there? Yeah, well, picking up on Chuck's point before the break, there there is increased interest in cooperatives as a solution uh, to some of these challenges that we face as a society. I mean, the, the and, and I got to say, not only does does uh, the National Co-op Bank, you know, support this fantastic show, they've been a stalwart pillar of, you know, moving forward the cooperative message for decades and, and a huge part of, of NCBA, the Umbrella Organization for Cooperatives, uh, and, a, and a great partner in our advocacy work. The, you know, the, the we, we at, at NCBA, we've got a uh, Congress, uh, Congressional Cooperative Business Caucus. There's about 25 members of Congress that are part of this, and it's bipartisan. And I think that's that's a really important point to make is that co-ops is not, you know, it's not a Democratic thing or a Republican thing. There is support across the aisle. There's support in rural places with the rural electric cooperatives and agriculture. There's support in urban places with uh, food co-ops, credit unions and others, and worker co-ops. And so it's a and so that's, I think, one of the reasons we've had some real success. I think another reason we've had success is that um, is that policymakers are kind of desperate for solutions. You know, I mean, the way that the wealth inequality has been increasing, you know, that I think that it's so important, greater kind of focus on, on racial disparities. People are really looking for strategies that empower people in their businesses. And co-ops are tried and true. They've gone to scale in a number of sectors that really transformed uh, these sectors and some of the geography. And so I think it's really smart that we see these policymakers looking to co-ops. Chuck mentioned the Small Business Administration. Of course, that's in the federal government, the the agency that supports small businesses through technical assistance and lending. Historically, they haven't been very warm to cooperatives. They've not embraced the model in the last two or three years, particularly with the Main Street Employee Ownership Act. But then, you know, in just the last two months, as Congress has been looking at economic assistance for small businesses, we've made some great strides in making sure that essentially every kind of co-op is eligible and uh, we're working hard that they, they really have access to it. And I actually think it's going to be a pretty big step forward because there's a lot of the small business kind of community and the admin in that agency that's learning about co-ops right now. Uh, so that's an important step. Vernon, I got some interesting news of uh, sort of breaking news here. I just got a uh, email from uh, the department of treasury, which announces that uh, they will be setting aside uh, some $10 billion of the PPP funds, that's the payroll protection plan, to be used by uh, community development uh, financial institutions. And a, a good portion of those uh, CDFIs are credit unions, uh, which are uh, uh, co-ops. Um, 
And, you know, one of the, the biggest uh, criticisms of the PPP program was that the money wasn't getting to uh, uh, small businesses that really needed the funds. It was uh, sort of larger companies. And, and um, you know, if you had a very small company, maybe you didn't have the uh, sophistication to apply and necessarily have the, uh, the banking uh, contacts. And these CDFIs uh, serve uh, low-income communities uh, and smaller communities uh, throughout the America, both urban and rural. And I think it uh, shows what we're talking about here is, is that the public policy is changing a little bit here, uh, more towards uh, uh, to our way of thinking. $10 billion, That's great news. $10 billion set aside. Now, Chuck, John Hosclaw from your organization was on uh, three or four weeks ago, and he was telling the NCB did 246, 247 uh, PPP loans. What was that like? Well, it was a, a mad dash because, uh, especially in the first round, because the money ran out so quickly. But, uh, you know, we reached out to our customers as well as the customers that in our community. And, um, you know, we uh, processed both small and, and, and large uh, loans. Um, and, it, you know, uh, it was very gratifying. Uh, in fact, we actually posted a, a video on our, our website uh, that shows that we got a bunch of thank yous from our uh, customers are processing uh, their PPP loans uh, in good fashion, and uh, we got a lot of thank yous, the videos, and we put them all together and, and posted it on our, our website. I like so, to look at yeah. You know, it you know these, this PPP program uh, was a good program, but it was uh, hastily put together, and anything that uh, is done with speed, you know, has uh, has some gaps, and and uh, hopefully, you know, we did the uh, the right thing by trying to serve everyone and get it done uh, quickly and in good form and, you know, treat everyone the way that we want to be uh, treated. As you pointed out, the golden rule uh, is is so important uh, to us, uh, no matter uh, where they, they, uh, they come from. Okay. Now I'd like to talk a bit about Carmen Huaytas Noble, a uh, Puerto Rican lady, out of New York, who's the attorney who teaches, she was on the show, and she said that essential workers are not being treated as, as if they are essential. And she was saying, well, what would it look like if hospitals were owned by essential workers? And, Doug, this goes into all these rural hospitals that are closing, and they don't have the capacity mm-hmm. for coronavirus. And what would those hospitals look like if they had been owned by the employees there? One hypothesis she made was that, they would have had PPE. They would have been looking out for themselves, for the right. worker and everything. So how do you see co-ops faring? It's, it's, it's happening on a hill that folks are seeing this as a solution. So how do you see it coming in on the other side of this? And how? what can we do as cooperators to, to <clears throat> help folks to really understand both the public and the policymakers to see how co-ops can, can really, really help in all of our different ills? Yeah, so, you know, Carmen, and one of the reasons I know you had her on it, because she's um, uh, an inductee to the Hall of Fame this year, so it's yes. really great that you that you had her, that Cooperative Hall of Fame that CBF does. The, a couple points on this. You know, number one, how would those frontline workers be treated if they were a co-op? And and we have we have uh, some examples. I mean, we, we know that food co-ops are treating their workers with much more caution and um, with their workers' health in mind than, than non-co-ops. We know that 
you know, the credit unions are, they're doing a lot of the same thing. We're seeing examples of people treating not only their workers, but other stakeholders with more caution, with those people's health really in mind. You talk about rural, you mentioned there's a lot of small businesses like Chuck was talking about before, you know, one of, one of the big tragedies in this uh, situation is that uh, a lot of small businesses are, even with the, with the good programs and PPP and some other programs, but people are predicting that a lot of small businesses are going to go out of, uh, you know, out of business. And in whether that's in urban communities or rural communities, you lose some of your key small businesses and you really lose the, the fabric of that community. You know, a small town loses its uh, grocery store uh, or its hardware store. That can be um, really devastating. Something we've been talking a lot about. It's kind of an old solution and a new glove, um, and that's small business conversion. So, what if that mom and pop of that of that uh, of that grocery store in a small town, if they convert that that grocery store to ownership by the workers or ownership by the consumers? So you convert it into a co-op, and we know that you know about um, 10 million people will be changing, you know, they're going to be uh, transferring their business over this next five to 10 years. Uh, and now I think like so many things with COVID, that's being accelerated. And so people are looking for solutions on what to do with their small business so that those communities can survive. And co-ops, uh, I think, are, are just a fantastic solution. We need some more public policy to be able to go with scale at that. You know, so we're starting a conversation about how do we, how do, we do that as Congress looks at some, uh, some future legislation on, on recovery uh, from the COVID economic downturn. So Papa Sin works for NCBA Cluson. He was on the show one of the first month. We were only going to do this show for one month, and that was the month of October, okay. six and a half years ago. And he was on, and he said something, Papa Sin is from Senegal, and he said that we pay taxes with anticipation of what those tax dollars would do for the community. And I have never thought about it. I always thought about taxes as just a burden, okay, that you've got to do it. Uh, but anticipation. So if we took our tax dollars and we could tell the policymakers, we want you to put some of those tax dollars into helping these owners uh, who are, a lot of them are my age, they're the baby boomers. Uh, I think they said 75% of business owned by baby boomers. And so that they are looking to what they do. And now this coronavirus has come in. A lot of these won't start back up. But what if we took our tax dollars and helped those employees own the business, run the business, control the business, whether it's in rural or urban settings, that perhaps these business, more of these business will come back on and come back on faster and uh, survive, be successful. Chuck, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's uh, one of the uh, uh, strong solutions that co-ops have to offer uh, going forward. I think there's a lot of interest in, in this uh, on Capitol Hill as far as coming up with uh, supportive uh, policies. You know, I think that uh, everyone uh, is looking for uh, stability uh, in, their, in their life. And uh, there's a lot of uh, gig workers and contractors, et cetera. That has definitely grown in percentage. And, and how do you get into a situation where it's more stable and there's more fringe benefits like uh, health care, et cetera? And they also have a say in, in how things are, are run as well. And I think that worker co-ops uh, definitely uh, uh, provide the solutions for, for all those, uh, those issues. So, you know, I, I see, you know, co-ops playing a significant role uh, 
you know, role uh, going forward. One of the things that has come up with working at, at, at home uh, with the pandemic is uh, do we have enough broadband in the, in the yes. right places? And rural utilities, I think rural utility co-ops, uh, which have a large market share, they cover 75% of the country in geographic area, really is in a great uh, position to help provide that broadband uh, to rural areas because you don't get get past uh, go these days if you can't get on the Internet uh, highway. Public policy is, is so important in that because it's going to be so expensive. Uh, but we yeah. can't let these rural communities uh, fall behind because we're not providing the proper infrastructure. Seventy-five percent of the household, seventy-five percent of the land mass, the electricity is provided by rural electric co-ops. And that means those people that have those meters, they own that business. And they get to vote for the board of directors or run for the board, and they have to set the policies that are for that for them for themselves. And so it it, it works, and it's worked a lot. And this came out of FDR and the Great Depression, and how because the normal capitalist business wouldn't put money into this rule because it costs too much to run the lines and the capital. That's capital. right. So yeah, right. they work, and they work really really well. We're going to take our final break, and I'd like to come back and continue this conversation of what does it, what's the co-op role after this pandemic and looking at what we can do. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. This is Byron Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. We have Mr. Chuck Snyder, president of NCB, on the line with us, and Mr. Doug O'Brien, the executive director of the Cooperative Business Association. We're talking now about what happens after this coronavirus is over, once we have a vaccine and testing and all of that stuff that we need. What would the new norm look like? And I want to give a shout-out, gentlemen, to Dr. Jessica Gordon-Emhard and ask everybody out there to get her book, Collective Carriage, because in that book, she talks about the history, the history, particularly history between African-Americans and this co-op, and there's a huge history. And in that book, she talks about that after five years, a cooperative business, like 90% of those businesses are still in existence. And if you have a capitalistic business, after five years, only 10 or 20% of those businesses are still in existence. And one of the reasons are all of the things that we've just talked about, the flexibility, the training, the working together, the loyalty, uh, having the whole community supporting each other. And it takes longer to get a cooperative business started most of the time because of all of that training and learning how to solve issues when there's, when there's issues. And you have two or more people, you're going to have conflict. How do you solve that conflict? So all of these different reasons co-op work. So what can we do to get the word out even more than what we're doing so that policymakers and the general public knows about co-ops as an answer to a lot of these ills that we find in our in our community? Chuck, why don't you start off with that one? Uh, sure. You know, this is a sort of a once-in-a-lifetime, you know, uh, event. You know, the last pandemic was – was 100 years ago, and um, this recession is going to be uh, much greater uh, than any recession that we've had uh, since the Great uh, Depression. You know, the Great Recession uh, was, a, was a significant uh, event uh, 10 years ago. But, uh, for example, the, the, the high of unemployment was close to 10 percent. I think it was uh, sort of 9 percent or so. Some areas were much, were, uh, much greater 
But we have already had uh, the job losses this time around two or three times more than we had t- 10 years ago. So the, the, the impact uh, is going to be similar to that of the, uh, of the Great Depression. Now, I don't predict a, a depression. I think we'll have a recovery here. Uh, it's going to be a little bit slower than I think that everyone is anticipating. I think the stock market is way ahead of itself. But the reason why I'm saying this is, is that there's an opportunity, just like in the Great Depression, to sort of reassess things and come up with a, a lot of new ideas. For example, uh, the rural electrics uh, uh, were uh, created uh, as a result of uh, rethinking things after the uh, Great Depression. I think the Civil Rights Movement, there was a lot of um, things that the, the seeds were planted after the, uh, the Great Depression uh, to um, set things up. And, and it was because of sort of the the inequities got highlighted. Uh, there was a, a desire for new thinking, et cetera. So I, I think that the from uh, from the country standpoint, there's an opportunity for us to think big and to do uh, new things. And I think co-ops definitely will play a, a part in, in it. Um, you know, uh, we talked about some of those uh, opportunities, whether it's uh, a broadband, um, housing co-ops, in, in, especially in in the uh, inner, inner city, uh, small business uh, uh, co-ops. You know, coming together to survive the the next downturn, uh, worker co-ops, uh, so that you can have a, a living wage and can control the environment and be your own boss and have that uh, uh, power to serve the uh, community. I just think that uh, you know the world has uh, has seen um, sort of the uh, large companies get larger, and I think that uh, this new thinking will will challenge uh, some of the things that have been happening. And I think it's going to open up for uh, policy change, hopefully, uh, to support uh, some of these uh, cooperative activities, just like what happened in um, the aftermath of the uh, Great Depression. Thank you, Chuck. What about you, Doug? Uh, I completely agree with Chuck. The, 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 a couple other data points that, that just shows how I think the moment is right. You know, number one, I read last week that 40 percent of the people with incomes of $40,000 or less have lost their jobs in the last two and a half months. What, what that percent is of that? Forty percent of okay. people with less than forty thousand dollars in income. Uh, such a huge swath. Um, and Chuck talked about the stock market ahead of itself. You know, um, April was the best month since I think 1987 or something in a very very long time. At the same time, when all these people were losing jobs, I mean that disparity between, you know, systems that are really working good for outside investors and systems that are not working good for low-income households and people of color. I mean, now it's, I think people are going to be really more interested in, in some solutions. And, and like Chuck was talking about, Vern, you talk about co-ops are a proven way to bring more wealth into the community, to solve the problems that the people want to solve, you know, with businesses. So, you know, so again, it's, it's looking at those past successes and and applying it today. It's, it's saving small businesses. It's, um, it's looking at gig workers. You know, that's another thing we've, as, as we've moved to really accelerated our commerce online, we, we really need, and there's been, you know, a lot of conversation the last five or 10 years, with platform cooperatives 
but now is the time that we've got to sharpen our, our pencils to get some policies in place uh, so more people can have control of this Internet space. So those are just a couple examples. Yeah, it really shows that when you have three people in the U.S. that owns the same wealth as the bottom 50% of the people. So you take 50%, uh, I don't know, half of 330 million people, and you add up all of the wealth that they have, and, and you got three people that have more wealth. There's something wrong in the system, particularly when you look at the outcomes of those low-income low people in terms of health disparities. And one group is the native, the 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 native nations, like the Navajo Nation, is not experiencing huge coronaviruses in their world. Coronavirus is really affecting them. And how do we go in and help those people too? And in some reservations, I think there are co-ops that are working, both housing and for low income. But how do we how do we then get to where we really get the policymakers and our country to understand. Because, Chuck, I think you said that the United Nations in 2011, or either United Nations or on the Hill, you said that co-ops are one of the best-kept secrets in the U.S. So how do we get this knowledge out? And this is why we started this program, to get knowledge out about this. How do we even do it more, take this opportunity to really get people to understand co-ops? Well, that's one of my uh, great frustrations with, uh, with co-ops, and that uh, co-ops tend to focus in towards their members and not towards the uh, general public. So, and, you know, there's good and bad for that. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, credit unions uh, have been growing, you know, double digits uh, here for the last uh, decade. Their growth has slowed down a little bit uh, here in the last uh, year or two, but it's still been much stronger than, than the banks. But, you know, as far as understanding of uh, credit unions, et cetera, you know, it, there's still sort of a, a lack, and, and that's the – I'm not picking on credit union. I'm, I'm picking on the entire cooperative uh, sector across the board. You know, um, we've had, uh, you know, some 150 housing cops here in, in the district that have performed uh, very well. But uh, it's not widely uh, known uh, that they provide, uh, you know, great affordable uh, housing. And, uh, you know, they, they've been here for a long time. I just saw a video here uh, Housing costs in the district. Uh, we're, we're celebrating its 100th anniversary here in, in the district, and you know, uh, probably uh, 100 people know that. And um, you know, that's one of the things that uh, going forward, you know, co-ops, we we need to to uh, be more vocal. And and to, um, our predecessors working in co-ops, I think, have done a much better job of promoting co-ops to uh, to the general public and to the uh, uh, and the Capitol Hill. But, you know, I, I think that uh, over the last uh, 10, 20 years, we've been probably swimming upstream a little bit. Uh, you know, capitalism has, has created a lot of wealth, not necessarily equal wealth, but uh, has created a, a lot of wealth uh, across the uh, the nation. And I think that, uh, you know, we've gotten sucked up into sort of a uh, celebration of uh, capitalism. But what's happened is, is that uh, we've gotten... Uh, such concentration, um, lack of diversity, you know, all of a sudden uh, we have uh, sort of uh, international type uh, uh, conglomerates that uh, just don't uh, uh, care about the uh, communities like a small business uh, would or a co-op uh, would about their uh, society or their their little uh, community. So uh, we need we need to, to do a better job. Telling you know. I, I totally yeah. agree with um, with Chuck. The what what we've got to do is 
is really show how the outcomes, you know, there's the wealth outcome, but there's also the different societal outcomes and community outcomes. And we're, we're doing that work at NCBA Clusa, measuring co-ops and telling that story in a different way. And then co-ops need to, they need to stand on top of the roof and tell that story. Um, there's no doubt about it. There's, it's such a great story and it's so needed these days. You've got the last word, Doug. We need to get on the roof and shout it. Shout it out. Okay. There we go. Thank you guys for being on the show. Everybody out there, thank you for being with us. Thank Uh, you, Vernon. And please uh, live this week cooperatively and and think about joining a co-op or starting one. All right. Thanks, Vernon. Have a great one, Dan. Take care. Bye now.